Hey, hey, welcome back to Business of Film. This is episode number 59. My name is Jesse Eichmann, and you're listening to a crafttruck.com podcast. I have what I can only describe as a very special podcast uh, this week. Uh, somebody who speaks uh, both uh, passionately and eloquently about the business and how he got started in it. Uh, wonderful guy. His name is Jared Goldman, uh, based out of New York. Uh, started his career, as we'll get into, uh, as an intern at Miramax uh, and uh, kind of w- rose up through the ranks as a production manager to having produced and been involved as either a co-producer, producer, executive producer in some just some really, really fabulous films over the last uh, five years, uh, including uh, Solitary Man, The Magic of Belle Isle, uh, Kill Your Darlings, The Skeleton Twins, um, and uh, more recently coming out, uh, Adult Beginners. And just so much information to share, uh, including a, a very special story uh, about Manda Bala, uh, which is a documentary that was uh, the first film that uh, that he produced, uh, and just a wonderful, wonderful film uh, that I certainly urge people to, to check out. So, uh, Jared, uh, thank you for taking the time for, for coming on this show, and, and as a special treat, uh, this, is, this is from Jared, um, he started his career in the deliveries department and so uh, one of the things that he has and he uses on all of his films is a checklist a delivery a deliveries template and so uh, he's graciously agreed to give to all of our listeners his template the thing that he uses on all of his films and so you can find that uh, as a free giveaway uh, from Jared to you uh, just check out crafttruck.com forward slash bof59 again crafttruck dot com forward slash bof fifty nine and you'll be able to to download uh, his deliveries template, which is really a super helpful document uh, for anybody uh, who's uh, in the process of delivering a film or will eventually deliver a film. So, without further ado, uh, here we go uh, with Jared Goldman on uh, this week's business of film. The title of our episode, so I can steer. I, I don't have titles, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, but I, I, um, we, we haven't had that many and it's funny. I want to, I, I want to have more producers on the show cause I really believe at the heart of it, you know, it's the producer that, that drives really everything. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you've managed to put together a very eclectic range. And so I, you know, I, I kind of want to talk to you about, about you um, and how you started in the business, and uh, maybe you can just tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and, and what you do. Sure. Um, all right. So, is this us starting, or should we? Should we oh, we're going. Oh, oh we are. Okay. We're, we're, we're going. Uh, sure. So, I I, uh, I went to to I was, I've always been a uh, a film enthusiast and and fan. Uh, you know, I just have some some great memories of like being in. Must have been in ninth grade or something, and and uh, at the time the horror channel I think it was 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 doing a freebie um, where they were I guess they were just trying to see whether the station was going to stick and they played this movie called The Video Dead which I actually haven't looked up in years and I wonder if there's anybody who was in it. Um, but my friends and I somehow caught this movie and decided to make a, a sequel to it. Uh, so one of my earliest 
you know, ex- exposures or to like just the filmmaking process was was making the video dead two, which I wish that I had a copy of because I can only imagine how awful it was. But I I uh, I produced it and I I played one of the I got to play one of the zombies. Um, uh, so I guess I was a little ahead of the zombie curve at that, at that point, but um, but that really just sparked. Uh, my, exci- my excitement about filmmaking because I was like, wow, I can do this with friends and, and uh, you know, we spent two days and made this terrible movie but it was still like, wow, this is so fun. Um, and then in college, I, uh, I thought I was going to go into finance. I went to the University of Pennsylvania and uh, Penn didn't have a film program but uh, once I realized that finance wasn't the direction for me, I started to to really look at what my passions were, which was really film and music. And at the time, the music industry was becoming decimated. Um, and uh, I have an old family friend named Brian Koppelman, who, who has a great uh, podcast. And it's just, he's a great guy. And, and he had just, he and his writing partner had just written Rounders. And, and he, they had, they got me a, uh, an internship or an interview for an internship at Miramax, uh, which was then really my first experience uh, in the industry, which was being at Miramax at that time was just was pretty amazing. So what, what year was that? It's like 98, 99, around then. So I, I forgive me, when did they become the Weinstein Company? That, that was in the early 2000s, right? So you, were you there during that transitional period at all, or, or had you left before? No, I, 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 uh, so out of college, I, I was able to get a job there. Uh, and then, like three months into getting the the job, I was laid off in a in a wave of of Disney layoffs. Uh, and then it was a few years later, I think that they, they became the the Weinstein Company. So, what did you do? Well, first of all, just uh, what did you learn while you were there? Was there anything, any kind of uh, big takeaways that you took out of your experience being being an intern at Miramax? Yeah, heyday. I mean, it really was their heyday. Yeah, well, what was amazing was Penn had this this exchange program um, or foreign foreign program where, where um, they would send us to the the Cannes Film Festival, and uh, and while I was at the festival, I just saw a bunch of movies, and when I came back to the acquisitions department that I was interning in. They had me come and sit in the acquisitions meetings, and and I had seen because I had seen Dancer in the Dark and Nurse Betty and whatever other films they were considering purchasing, and they were asking me what did I think, and and you know my, naively I was like, oh, this is such a great company. Look how they they respect you know everyone's opinion. They're interested in everyone's opinion, and then then I realized, oh, I get it. I'm like in the main. Uh, you know, demographic and I'm someone who doesn't have a clue about movies. And, and so, and I've seen everything that they're considering buying. So that was incredible early insight because I realized this is a business and these people are looking to purchase these films. And even though, you know, these, there's an artistic endeavor to it, movies are also products and they need to get out to the marketplace. So that was incredibly eye opening. Uh, and then when I graduated and I got my job, I was in business affairs and delivery, uh, which is not really that glamorous. But 
working in delivery, uh, and at that time I was accepting delivery on in the bedroom from Good Machine and Green Street, just realizing what it takes to just deliver a movie and all the paperwork and all of the materials that go into just getting a movie out into the world uh, really set the foundation for every, everything I've subsequently done. So uh, I'm going to ask you the, uh, the, the dirty little question right now. And I, I, I don't mean to, to, to throw hardballs, but <laughs> and this, this isn't meant to be a hardball, but I, but I believe it to be a very real and challenging thing for filmmakers. When you're in the deliveries department, of any company, and I've been in companies where this is the name of the game, it's delayed delivery. And when you're a filmmaker, the hardest thing, it's making sure your film was accepted and delivered so that you can get paid. Um, without you having to speak so much about your experiences specifically in there, maybe you can speak about it from the, the challenges from the producing side, how much of that do you believe to be accurate and true, and how challenging is it to actually deliver a movie? It's very difficult because it's it takes such organization, um, and also knowing and and understanding the the technical aspects of what you know what goes into a video master and what you know this understanding the specs of of um, of the digital space you know, is, is, is challenging, you know, so, and, and not every producer knows that. Um, so having a very strong post production supervisor is, is if you, if you can afford one, um, is great, you know, on, on small movies, you often can't afford one. So it's figuring out as you go along, but those mistakes can be costly. Um, so, so staying organized is like is so critical. I mean, that's why I I've done it enough now where every movie I go into, I just take a a template I have a delivery template and just create folders in my computer where I as soon as I get documents that I know I'm going to have to deliver at some point, I just start putting them into my my uh, little delivery uh, files that I've created on my computer. I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw this out there because that just sounds like an awesome thing for filmmakers to have. And if it's proprietary, just say it's proprietary. But is that something we can share with our audience? I think you could probably. I, I'm, I could. Sure. Yeah, I could send you a, a delivery. What a delivery schedule looks like. Yeah. I, well, I mean, your your. I assume your template is like your checklist of what you need to like. You 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 have a working checklist, I guess, that you work off. Of exactly. Your, yeah, it's basically it's yeah. basically just because most you know most foreign sales companies and, and distributors they all require the same thing. So I've just basically you know taken a, one of those as a template and just started. I start saving files. That's great, and and you're you're okay if we share that with our audience. Uh, sure, that'd be awesome. Uh, for, hey, listen, if you're listening to this right now, you just got the value of your. Uh, of your listenership, because I bet you that template that you have right now is going to save some filmmaker not only a boatload of grief, but probably a shitload of money. Uh, and it'll it'll also likely terrify them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? I, I don't even want to ask how many uh, how many bullet points you have on that. I guess we'll see it when you have it. So, if you're listening to this this episode, it's episode number fifty nine. You can find this episode at crafttruck.com. 
uh, forward slash BOF59, and we'll put up Jared's template there uh, so that you can uh, you, you can get it. Thank you, Jared, for sharing that sure. with our audience. So moving on, um, uh, it looks like your path to being a producer after having some of those experiences seemed to move up through the ranks of of being a, a production manager. Is that sort of an accurate statement? I mean, I'm looking at, obviously, uh, you know, as, as anyone would, your, your IMDb credits. Sure. And, you know, it looks like on many movies, uh, Yellow Brick, uh, sorry, uh, Yes, uh, actually going back to 2003. So you're production manager in Faint Music, production manager in this movie called Yes, uh, uh, production manager on Slow Burn, uh, which is done by Green Street, um, and and then a couple more, The, the Insurgents, uh, sure. Descent. I mean, really very strong production management background. Was that a, was that a conscious choice? How did you get into that, uh, being a PM? And uh, do you feel that, like that that was a good path to becoming a producer? Sure. Uh, well, after I was laid off at Green Street, I was able to get a job. Uh, laid off at Miramax, I was able to get a job at Green Street. So, which was which was also a wonderful place to be in, in a, a really sort of nurturing environment. So I was there all, then from the tail end of in the bedroom through to Prairie Home Companions uh, and other films at the time were, were the Sally Potter film, Yes, and, and uh, a swim fan and Uptown Girls. So I was ultimately became the manager of the production department there. So I learned a, a lot about production management just from being at Green Street, it, given that it was a smaller company, it really was an all-hands-on-deck um, mentality. So so I just, you know, I learned a ton but just by by being thrown into it. And then when I left, um, I I knew I wanted to try to stay in New York. Uh, I mean, I, I like Los Angeles, but I just, I love New York. So, so I figured it would be easier to be a f- freelance production person than a freelance development guy. Uh, and so I just started telling people that I was a production manager and a line producer, although I didn't really have any practical onset experience. Uh, but, you know, it's that old fake it till you make it mentality, I guess. Um, and that just set me off on, 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 a, on a physical production track. I also just figured that if I was able to gain traction as a production manager and a line producer that if if the opportunity came where I would be able to start producing my own films because that was certainly the aspiration that you know learning to make movies uh, and learn and, and making mistakes and learning from those mistakes on on you know, on any number of projects, I mean, it just gained me, gave me more and more experience. So it was great. I mean, did, you, a, did you already, yeah. did you know, like when you were kind of doing the production management track, because there are a lot of production managers who are very happy to live as a production manager. We had, a, um, you know, a career, I guess you could say a career production manager, although he's, he's, I think at this point, uh, moving into possibly some producing, but that seems to be a natural evolution that you, move from kind of PMing or even location management up into production manager and then eventually producer. I mean, was that, was that always the, the prize for you? You wanted to become a producer and this was kind of your way in. Was that like a conscious goal for you? Um, it was, <laughs> the goal was really just to make money so I could afford to live in New York city. So, uh, Fair uh, <laughs> um, 
You know, look, I, I love line producing. Uh, I still do it. It's it's uh, you know the opportunity to for me to to just work at the level that I, I get to work at with the people I'm working with. You know, it um, is just it's ex- it's so exciting. So uh, at, at the same time, you know, being able to to use that skill set to then apply it to getting the movies that I'm producing going is also is wonderful. Um, the I guess the goal was, you know, was was always to just use the the line producing skill set. But I mean, I really had no clue what I was doing. I mean, those first movies that I was production managing, I think the first one I did, like, I didn't even know what a swing gang was. Uh, you know, which is which? Those are the set dressers who move all the furniture in and out of the location. So it, you know, it's good to know who they are. Uh, and I like, I just saw swing gang, and I was like, I don't know what I. I didn't know what those what that meant. Uh, That's fantastic. I love that. Uh, <laughs> I, I remember the first time um, that I was ever sitting in a because I started my career as in a business affairs capacity as well, and uh, I remember looking at a budget, and I never looked at a film budget before, and I'm looking through the the, the budget, and all of a sudden it says Best Boy, it says Grip, and it says Gaffer. I, clueless absolutely <laughs> clueless and the funny thing was at the time we were doing tax incentives right because that's sort of what we did in canada in the early 2000s was big heyday of tax incentives and so it was we had to put together these budgets and spreadsheets on how much money you're going to get back based on these people so here i am plugging in numbers based on people for which i had absolutely no idea what the hell they, yep. they, they meant so that that's great i love that uh, did you did did you so so what was the first movie that you did that you really believe, you know, like the real kind of big movie that you did as a producer that you feel, you know, this is, this is my first movie that I'm producing. What, sure. Yeah. Um, it, it was, a, it was a, a documentary called Mandabala Send a Bullet, which is about the cyclical nature of corruption and kidnapping in Brazil and about a, really about a frog farm that's at the tip of a $2 billion corruption scandal that... I made it with my closest friend, uh, a guy named Jason Cohn, who was working for Errol Morris at the time. I and mean, when we started, I was still at Miramax. You know, he, he called me. He was doing research. I think it was on Fog of War. And called me and said – he called me at Miramax and said, look, I can keep doing research for Errol and you can – uh, continue being an assistant or why don't we just, or we can just go make a movie. And I was like, great, but can you hold on a second? Cause someone's calling for my boss. Um, and, uh, and we, uh, we started making the film and at green street, it was amazing. Cause my, my, my direct boss there who is the, uh, head of production, the guy named Tim Williams, who's now running the Oregon film commission. Um, was so encouraging. You know, he would let me go down to Brazil to work on the film. And then when I left Green Street, um, the movie got into Sundance. That was in 2007. Uh, and then won the Grand Jury Prize and won the Cinematography Award and essentially went on to like a worldwide release um, and had a really great theatrical release. And that was something... That's probably the movie I will always hold dearest just because you know, I made it with my closest friend uh, and there was another friend of ours involved. Um, 
How did you finance that movie? Uh, I don't know what the, I mean, I don't know what the budget was on it, but how did you, I mean, this is always. It was expensive. You know, it was like high six figures for a documentary because we shot Anamorphic Super 16. So I really don't recommend it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful and it's a fucking great movie. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but it's a great. uh, uh, It's a really terrific movie and I still get. You know, emails, a couple of emails per month of people who are who are discovering it. Um, uh, it's a beautiful film, but shooting shooting a documentary on film is not practical. Um, uh, and uh, was that something you learned in the process? That was like, oh you, yeah, okay, yeah. Because uh, <laughs> I, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. But did you did you finance that out of your own pocket or no no no? I mean, it, it was. Uh, Jason and myself and, and our partner, Joey Frank, uh, just asking our friends, getting $500 here, $1,000 there. Um, and, and, uh, so like old school Kickstarter. (laughs) Totally, totally. And, and, uh, we, we couldn't even put it on a credit card because I think, you know, I was just so broke that the credit card company would only like, would max out my credit card at $500. So, uh, we couldn't even... They couldn't even try to put it on our credit cards. But we we received – we had shot a 10-minute – I remember correctly. We shot a 10-minute teaser, and then that teaser, we won a grant, which I think was like a $20,000 grant. And that started to give people more confidence in us once. And then we went with that money. We raised a little more money, went back to Brazil, shot another phase of production – that we were able to make a longer teaser. Maybe the first teaser was two minutes, and, and then this new teaser was like 12 minutes, something like that. But anyway, so, but as a result of this next phase of, of shooting, we were able to apply to Sundance for the Soros grant, and we won that grant, which was, I think that was $70,000. I really can't remember, but I think it was it, it was a yeah. great chunk of change. But also just now being uh, being supported by Sundance that way, then we were able to get you know two big financiers to come in and and, and fund the rest of the movie. Um, so let me let me take kind of a, a big step forward uh, because and maybe you can apply some of the things that you've learned or whether or not you feel it's relevant. But when you're producing a film today and and you've gone on to produce and executive produce i mean like as i said at the beginning of the show uh an eclectic and varied but really an amazing range of films i'm just going to name some of them here for those uh listeners who aren't familiar uh, you were a co-producer on solitary man uh you were uh, an executive producer on the magic of belle isle and generation um uh recently kill your darlings uh and uh, an adult and producer on adult beginners there's a it it feels like there's not only a trajectory in your career but uh a way of thinking about the business and how you either produce films or help get films put together. Can you just first just talk about this trajectory in your in your just career because it seems like things have kind of like exploded for you to really be able to understand the business. Was there a kind of a point in time where you're thinking about the business and how you get involved and put films together. Did, like, was, was there something that happened that changed? Where you, you were just kind of like, okay, I get it now. Sure. Um, well, I've always been an avid reader, uh, and so so 
finding stories that that uh, I found that are attractive has always been you know, a, a huge proponent of, of of what I've been trying to do. You know, I'm now at a point in my career where I can be very picky about what I get involved with. Um, but I have, I really have to say, it was I, I was the line producer on two Rob Reiner movies, which were The Magic of Belle Isle and more recently And So It Goes, which was out this summer, this past summer, summer of 2014 with Michael Douglas and Diane Keaton. And just talking to Rob and being around him and, and hearing his stories and realizing that those first six or seven movies of his specifically are such a huge influence on, um, on the types of films I am drawn to and, and what's, you know, wonderful about those movies, which is, which is, you know, Spinal Tap, The Short Thing, Stand By Me, Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, Misery, A Few Good Men. Um, I think that's the order is that all those movies have this, this blend of being both, this uh they're they're it's this mix of like they're playful but also poignant um and and the way that's applied across all of the genres of the material that that those movies utilize is just so stunning to me um you know realizing that wow there's actually there is a, a connection between let's say uh spinal tap you know where, where you have this this band uh, and the movie is so funny, but underneath that, there's this sort of like, there's a longing there. Um, and you know, that is also then found in misery. Um, and, uh, uh, where, you know, misery is not funny, but there's, but it has comedic moments where, you know, James Kahn is like, he's a romance novelist is, is quite funny, but, um, uh, and the obsession there, but it's also, there's a longing in there. Um, and, and, connection through all those movies really has resonated with me. Um, but I guess it also, that goes back to that old adage of like, you know, you try to make them laugh and make them cry. So, mm-hmm. um, so that has really been a huge influence on, on the types of, of stories I'm drawn to. I mean, really most, the movie I had out most recently is called the skeleton, the skeleton twins with Kristen Wiig and, and Bill Hader was directed by Craig Johnson. And that movie, you know, it's still, it's like, that it uses that you know that exactly where it's a movie where you know the characters are are really relatable emotionally you get involved with them but you know the, obviously with Kristen and Bill there 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 there's a comedic element as well and uh and people seem to have really responded to that movie adult beginners which comes out soon uh similar so, and, and now some, some projects I have on the horizon also are similar. So uh, did you, when it comes to, I guess, financing your movies, and I, just, I, I know this is of particular interest to our audience, do you feel that, and it, it, may, it may be that some people could say, oh, you're already at a level now where you can kind of put anything you want together. But I don't, I don't genuinely, genuinely believe that. I believe every movie is its own unique challenges and I'm just wondering if you can talk about the process that you go through when you find material that you like and you're passionate about as you were just talking about and you want to actually get started on the road of trying to finance package put your film together well where do you start how do you think about it can you get as granular as you can on 
the subject of actually making your movies? Sure. Um, you know, what I also learned about uh, from, from Rob is just the, the focus on casting. And, and I remember he told me that with, when Harry met Sally, uh, there were other actors who were being considered, but he felt very strongly that, that Billy Crystal was right to play Harry. And, and Billy wasn't the name then. Uh, I don't know if he'd even made a, a movie really, but, but uh, Rob was sure that, that Billy was Harry. And then it was a matter of bringing in actresses to test with Billy. And when Meg came in, he said that the, the chemistry was just immediate. And I don't think she had made a movie before, but it was obvious that the chemistry between um, Meg and Billy was there and it was re- going to be relatable. And ultimately the movie is a success partially because you, know, you relate to these people because you you feel the chemistry between them. So I've been trying uh, to just really focus on on casting properly, which often means that there's intense downward pressure on the budgets of the movies. Um, so with that in mind, um, you know, once once we figure out who is the right cast and, who, you know, and, and whether we can a- attach that cast without any financing in place, then it's figuring out oh, wait, what but, the... Before yeah. we, we, we move forward, actually, I want to unpack that thought there because right there, I think, is where people get stuck. It's in that, okay, so you're trying to cast somebody, but, you know, how does that process happen for you? So you, you've got some, some great material. You want to get it into the right hands. You may not have any financing in place to make a pair play offer, and the general idea being, of course, that you want to use this package to go and leverage that into something bigger. <laughs> Look, if, even when I have the opportunity yeah. to make pay or play offers, you know, like if I'm making a little movie, uh, I'm dealing with this now on a project uh, where, where I want to lock an actor in for, to shoot in November, but I'm making a pay or play offer on like SAG, low budget scale. And the manager, who's a terrific manager, called me and he was like, look, I, you know, we appreciate the gesture of you, tra- of you offering, you know, uh, making a pay or play, but... But pay or play on, you know, when ultimately it's only going to be for $10,000 or something is not really incentivizing us to take our client off the market. Um, but um, look, casting is like the great mystery. So I think it's, it's always figuring out prior to, to casting, just assembling a strong team and, and seeing who, who has what relationships um, and, and, you know, if if you don't have the relationships with the agencies, then then trying to establish a relationship with a casting director who has who has um, the right sensibility. But ultimately, you know, ultimately you're making a, a product, right? So so from the get go, you're trying to just strengthen your your project and your product so that it has the the best chance in the marketplace later. Um, yeah. Do, do you feel that that casting process is the essential first step to then bringing it to market to try and, I guess, pre-sell or sell? I mean, I, I, you were kind of going on that, that evolution of what happens next. So maybe I should just ask you, well, okay, so you, you've got your, your script. You're successful in casting at that point. The great mystery has been solved. You've got some cast that, that you love. What next? 
in, in, uh, your, in so your, that, your worldview, yeah. Sh- sure. So, so typically, you know, an agent or manager will say, well, so-and-so is available in this window. So if, you know, see, see if you can get the money for them. Um, I've also been in situations where I've been able to raise the money and then that window is no longer available and, and then the actor's not available for months and months and then, you know, you lose the financing. So, uh, which is just, which is, it's amazing that people keep doing this. I mean, given how hard it is to, to get it going. But um, so you, I, I love going and raising money. Um, I feel like there's a, a lot of people coming back to film now that there is so much downward pressure on these budgets and you can make small films and, and really attract top caliber talent to them. Um, and people have been really responsive to that. So I also just love the hearing the stories of people who are interested in, in financing films of what it is about the industry that's, that's attracted them. You know, oftentimes these are very, very successful people who, who have really made themselves in their own right and whatever, and, you know, in a, in a, in a vastly different industry than, than, than film um, so just hearing their stories of, of what's drawing them in and um, is is fun um, and and trying to figure out what it is or hearing what it is that they they're looking to get out of it beyond just the you know the financial recoupment um, is is quite fun. Do you believe that the that certain films are only monetizable at certain values? So and what I. Just to clarify that question, if you're trying to make a movie and you don't have a certain level of cast, then effectively your film's not monetizable. You can't take it to market. You can't pre-sell it. You can't get finance it. You can't, you can't, you can't. So there becomes that kind of, you know, chicken and egg situation there when it comes to the caliber of the cast and the ability to even finance your film. And is there a gap in between? So can you comment maybe on that in terms of, the challenges that you face when you're trying to put your films together? Sure. I think it's, it's knowing your product, right? So, I mean, knowing what the value of your product in the marketplace is. So if you're going to go make a, a movie that doesn't have any, any names that people are going to recognize, it's going to drive the budget down. So I think it's in real life figuring, can you still tell the story that you want to tell at this lower budget? Um, so I think it's important to r- remain financial you know aware of of the the financial value of whatever it is you're making i mean movies aside i mean if i if i said i had an idea for a ten dollar toothbrush you know you would say why i can get a four dollar toothbrush so i think you know understanding what the the value of the of your of what you're trying to make uh is is critical i mean i think that look there's so many opportunities now to go and make films that are reduced cost so um and and with things like kickstarter and indiegogo and and those places i think there are people who you you can go make a film for and look what was the movie that was just at sundance that was shot on iphones it was like you know that's it's not ideal and it's not really what my aesthetic is necessarily but i think it's encouraging that you know it's the opportunity to get stories out there um, and not not have to rely on the model of like okay of casting 
and pre-sales is 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 exciting. Right, just just go out there, do it, get your film made. But then you're then you're faced with this this other challenge, which I'm sure you're embroiled with on every film that you do, which is. Uh, and it was Mark Ehrman who said this, and he said this in a previous podcast. And I, I, I actually I love the idea because I think it sums up our current place in time right now in terms of the industry, which is that you're not only competing against every other film that exists in you know in this at this moment in time when you release your film, but you're competing against every film that has ever been made in the history of the universe, because all content is available at all times. So when you're taking a film out and you're thinking about the distribution of it and how you get it to an audience and how you find an audience and how you work with your distributors, you know, where, where does your thinking kind of start on that big idea? It always starts with me. It's just like, you know, do I want to see this and why? Um, you know, ultimately, I just I like to be entertained. So, you know, is, do, will this how do I make this movie entertaining and, and appealing to audiences? Um, so it's always starts there. And then, you know, those conversations with the director of, you know, what's, what's going to draw audiences to this. Um, I, you know, I try to think about marketing from the get go because ultimately I don't make, you know, movies for no one to see, to see them, although that happens sometimes. But, uh, you know, uh, the aspiration is always to figure out how to get audiences engaged. So I, it's that's something I'm thinking about, you know, right from the start. I mean, as soon as I finish that book or, or script, I'm thinking about, okay, how, you know, who is this for and how would this, you know, how would this get out to the world? It's it's interesting, you know, as as we're talking and kind of just, you know, about all these different steps along the process and, and, and hearing you eloquate about all of them, uh, there's a very uh, there's a very singular theme in, in what you're saying, which is it's all very internal for you. Like everything that, that you do, really, it's your vision. It kind of starts with you, uh, you know, you're the it's and something very personal, very internal and very specific about the way you think about your films. They really are, they're, they're your babies that you're kind of taken from the very beginning to the very end. Uh, I, I love that idea uh, because it's very, very passionate. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm very collaborative, and, you know, and I just, but I also just feel, fuck, man, how lucky to, like, that I have somehow figured out how to, how to do this for a living. Um, and be part of a storytelling process. And so, look, there are certainly easier ways to make a living than doing than working in film. So I just feel like if you know if I can somehow work into a situation where I, I get to collaborate and work on movies that I really want to see, um, then 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 I I've won. Well, uh, have you figured it out? I mean, do you, I mean, I I ask this question honestly. Do you, do you feel like you're at a place now where you're like, okay, I get this. This is a business to me. I can not only make creative product, but it, it, it can support, you know, your lifestyle. Uh, it definitely, it definitely can't support my lifestyle. I mean, the downward pressure on on these movies is just it, movie budgets. It's just it's so hard, uh, to, especially trying to live in New York. Um, 
just because it's so city is so expensive. You know, look, I just you know, I have to figure out how to do this for the next forty plus years. So, you know, I'm just sort of following my instinct a bit, and and you know, fortunately, I just I have some very good and smart friends both in and out of the industry who I, I, I really rely on and I, I constantly am bouncing ideas off of them um, and, they, and I use them to, as, as means to sort of challenge those ideas and, and, and figure out, you know, is this the right project to pursue? Because ultimately it's not just about, you know, the, the time it takes um, but it's also, you know, you're marrying everybody who you're getting involved, who's involved in the movie. And it's like, do I want to be married to all these people for however long this is going to take? So, so, um, uh, you know, I feel fortunate, but I, you know, it's, it's definitely a, a collaboration and, and I, I have a very specific taste, but, um, but it's pretty but it's applicable to a, a large number of genres, I feel like. So what's, uh, what's the next film for you? Oi, you know, I, it seems <laughs> to <it> change. <laughs> I love that. Oi. <laughs> uh, you know, in the last week, it, it's just, it, it's changed. So, you know, two different movies that I thought were, were going immediately have now moved and maybe disappeared. So I, I've, I don't know. I'm, I feel like I, you know, I never really know what movie is next until, until, until like you know, I'm in the production office and the checks are clearing. So yeah, it's uh, funny. I, I, I have uh, uh, I have the same sort of saying, which is I don't believe it's actually happening until I'm actually standing on set, and even then, I'm not so sure. Even then, I mean, it's it's it, it, it's such a crazy <laughs> such a crazy way to make a, make a living. But um, yeah, I. I I, I always challenge those who we're speaking with is like, is this really a business? And for and for, and for for many people, I mean, there is a business. Like that, that's the funny thing. It is an established business. It's a very mature business in very in, in many many ways. But in other ways, it's just it's it's a hobby, right? It's like a glorified hobby. And uh, yeah, no, <laughs> it's great. Listen, I, I, I want to thank you so much for your your time today, uh, yeah. Jared. Really, I mean, I think. For those uh, who have been listening, I, there's there are so many little gems of wonderful things that you've shared with us. Is there, do you have any kind of last thoughts that you kind of want to leave our our listeners with? I think it's just keeping yourself open to collaboration. You know, I, I can't, I you know, no, you can't make a movie alone. And I just, I, I feel so fortunate to have had the experience of of being able to collaborate with such wonderful and varied. People, both you know, across you know all all ranges of the of the industry. Um, so that's that's really the most exciting thing. Just you know, always keeping in mind that it's, that it really is a, a it's about the for me at least it's about that that collaboration and and the shared and you know the, that excitement over a shared vision. Uh, that's great, man. That's great. Is people want to connect with you in uh, the digital spaces? Uh, is there anywhere that 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 you uh, encourage people to connect with you, uh, Twitter or otherwise? You know, I'm not on Twitter. I'm on the verge of deleting my Facebook account. Um, uh, Fantastic! I, I love it. <laughs> say, say no more. It's, it's be- beautiful, right, right there. I, <laughs> Although I think you know, my my email is I, my email is up on IMDb, so you can email me. 
That's great. Uh, I really enjoyed that chat with Jared. Jared, if you're listening to this, thanks again for coming on the show. Uh, and uh, if you want to find us, you can do so on Twitter. Uh, ask us any question you like. We are at Craft Truck. If you have something more in depth and you want to reach us, uh, just email us, coffee at crafttruck.com. Uh, again, Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate and uh, and love all of the questions uh, that you have and uh, just sharing this with your audiences and other people that you think uh, would enjoy this podcast is super appreciated. So um, please, please do. And if you happen to be on iTunes and you're listening to this there, if you can drop us a review and a star or two or three or four or five uh, and a comment there, that also really, really helps spread the word. So Uh, We'll see you next week. We'll be back with more. Thanks again for listening. And uh, ciao.